0: Answers begins right now. As the Israel- Hamas war continues to intensify, protests have been arising accusing Israel of invading the land of Palestine and illegally occupying the land. Both the Israelites and the Palestinians make theological and historical claims to the land. So who has the rightful claim to the land of Palestine? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with our host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat presents a brief history of the land and his perspective on who has a rightful claim to the land. Let's begin today's teaching entitled, Israel-Hamas Conflict
1: who owns the land. Hello, everyone. This is part three of the Israeli Hamas conflict. And this one is about who has the rightful claim to the land. You know, as the conflict between Hamas and Israel continues, there is a danger that this war could escalate into a war involving many nations. Hezbollah threatens from the north. Iran has launched missiles at U.S. bases located in Iraq and Syria. Russia, we know, is a strong ally of Iran. And China now has sent battleships into the Persian Gulf. So this situation could escalate. We need to be prayerful and concerned and watchful over this whole thing. Here in the United States and around the world, we have been seeing many protests against Israel, accusing Israel of invading the land of Palestine and illegally occupying the land. So in this session, I want to address the question, who has the rightful claim to the land of Palestine? Now, to understand the issue, it's important that we understand the history of this area of the world that we know as Israel-Palestine. Now, the history of this land is long and complicated, but I'll do my best to give you a brief historical overview. The history of this land goes back thousands of years, but we'll start in the 2nd millennium B.C. Now, originally, this area of the world was known as Canaan, and it was inhabited by the Canaanites who inhabited this area around the 2nd millennium B.C. The Canaanites were a Semitic-speaking cultural group that lived in Canaan, or present-day Palestine, Lebanon, southern Syria, and Jordan. Canaan was not a unified nation. It was made up of many city-states, each ruled by their own city king. It eventually came under the rule of the Egyptians, who were the superpower at that time. Now, the land was promised to Abraham in about 1800 BC as recorded in Genesis chapter 12. This is what we know as the Abrahamic covenant. It's recorded in chapter 12 of Genesis verses 1 through 3. And the covenant reads like this. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so the land was promised to Abraham, the father of the Jews. And God through Abraham was going to create a nation, a special nation, which was to live in obedience to God and have a special relationship with God. And it's through them, the entire world would be blessed and come to know God. This nation living in a special relationship in obedience to God would be a light to the whole nations and the entire world would come to Israel saying, teach us about your God. That was the purpose for the creation of Israel. Now, the boundaries of the land is delineated in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, You can see it in verse 18. God says, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so that's the boundaries or the territory that would be given to Abraham. So this area covers parts of Egypt. Palestine, southern Lebanon, and parts of Syria and Jordan. But that's the boundaries of the promised land that was promised to Abraham in about 1800 BC. Now Abraham's descendants grow to become a nation and Jacob moves his family to Egypt as a result of a great famine. Israel settles in the land of Egypt and eventually they are enslaved by the Egyptians for a little over 200 years after they are delivered in a great event known as the Exodus and they arrive back in the land of Canaan in about the 14th century BC. Israel conquered the land under Joshua and settled in the land. Now, the Jews have been in the land of Israel since the 14th century BC. The Jews lived as a loose confederation of tribal states until they were unified under the leadership of King David and became an empire in this area under his leadership, which was about a thousand BC with Jerusalem serving as the capital of this empire here in the Near East. Now, Years later, in a civil war, Israel divided into two nations, known as Israel to the north and Judea in the south. Israel, the northern ten tribes, were conquered by Assyria in 722 BC, leaving only Judea or Judah in the south. Judah remained an independent nation until they were conquered by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and then they were under the rule of the empires that followed. Although the Jewish population declined under certain empires, the Jewish presence remained throughout the land. Now, the first empire to rule over Israel was Babylon in 586 B.C. Babylon conquered the nation of Israel and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and thousands of Jews were exiled from the land in 586 B.C., to Babylon. The empire that followed was the Persian Empire. They ruled from about 539 to 333 BC. King Darius in 539 defeated the Babylonians and Israel was allowed to return to their homeland in about 538 BC when King Cyrus allowed them to return home. Persian Empire was followed by the Greek Empire which lasted from 333 BC to about 63 BC. It's Alexander the Great who defeated the Persians in 333 B.C., and Judea came under Greek rule, and the Jews remained in the land until the time of the Romans. Now, the Roman Empire rose in about 63 B.C. and lasted till about 313 A.D. In 63 B.C., the Romans conquered the region, and in 66 A.D., a war broke out between the Jews and the Romans, and in 70 A.D., the Romans finally crushed the Jewish rebellion, which ended with the destruction of the Jerusalem temple and the city of Jerusalem was burned to the ground and many Jews went into exile all over the world. Now, the Jews were scattered throughout the world at this time, but many remained in Israel. In 132 AD, the Jews again rebelled against the Romans in a rebellion known as the Bar Kokhba Revolt. The Romans crushed the rebellion and the Roman Emperor Hadrian then renamed Judea, as it was called back then. He renamed it to Palestine, After the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. Well, the area came under the rule of the Byzantines from 313 to 636 AD. Now, in 636 AD, this is the beginning of Islamic rule over Palestine and the entire Middle East. The Muslims controlled Palestine until the end of World War I. So the Islamic rule begins with the Umayyad dynasty. The Umayyad dynasty begins in about 636 A.D. and lasts until about 750 A.D. The Muslim Arab forces under the leadership of the Caliph Umar captured Jerusalem in 638 A.D., marking the beginning of the Islamic rule in the area, which lasted until 1917 after World War I. It is under the Umayyad dynasty that Jerusalem became a significant city in Islam and was the home to the Dome of the Rock, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is when the Muslim presence begins in Palestine, and they have remained in the land since. The Umayyad dynasty is followed by the Abbasid dynasty from 750 to 970 AD, and it's followed by the Fatimid dynasty, which goes from 970 to about 1100 AD. Then there's a short period known as the Crusader period, when the Crusaders came and established a brief Christian presence in the area at this time. So the Crusaders took control of this area from about 1100 to 1187 AD. The Muslims retook control of this land in 1187 AD and began the Ayyubid dynasty, which went from 1187 to 1229. The great Muslim leader Saladin defeated the Crusaders and recaptured Jerusalem and the territory. The Ayyubid dynasty was followed by the Mamluk dynasty, which went from 1250 to about 1517 AD. This was then followed by one of the longest Islamic empires of the Middle East, the Ottoman Empire, which went from 1517 to 1917. So they ruled the Middle East and Palestine for nearly 400 years. During this time, the population in Palestine was ethnically pretty diverse. They included Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Now, the Muslims did not pay much attention to Palestine during these years. Mark Twain visited the land in 1867, interested in seeing the land of Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey, as the Bible stated. And he wrote on the poor condition of the land in his memoirs entitled Innocence Abroad. And here's what he says about the land of Palestine at this time. He says, this is a country so desolate whose soil is rich enough, but it is given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse. A desolation is here that not... Even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and cactus, those fast friends of the worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. Mark Twain was noting the barrenness of the land, even though it was called the land flowing with milk and honey in the Old Testament. So that is the condition of the land under the Ottoman Empire. Now, the Ottoman Empire came to an end after World War I when the western allies with the hope of the arab leaders brought down the empire now many point to this as the beginning of the israeli palestinian conflict here the french and the british made a treaty with the arab leaders during world war 1 that if they helped the allies overthrow the ottoman turks they would be given their own land in return the ottoman had sided with the germans at this time and were in conflict with the allies however The British and the French had already made an agreement on the division of the Middle East in a treaty known as the Sykes-Picot Agreement. And the borders that we have today then in the Middle East are the result of this Sykes-Picot Agreement. And many in the Middle East still do not recognize the borders that were imposed by the Western allies. The League of Nations granted Britain a mandate to govern the area of Palestine. So the British mandate lasted from 1920 to 1948. It was also at this time the British expressed their desire to create a homeland for the Jews in a letter called the Balfour Declaration, created by Lord Balfour. So the nation of Israel was reborn in 1948 after World War II. After the atrocities of the Holocaust, the United Nations saw there was a need to once again restore the Jewish people to their homeland in Israel. So in 1948, the United Nations created the independent state of Israel. The British withdrew from the area, and the land of Palestine was divided almost evenly between the Palestinians living there and the Jews. Many Jews were living in the land of Palestine at this time, but when Israel was declared an official nation and a homeland for the Jews, thousands of Jews from all over the world came and settled in the land of Israel, while the Arab Nations rejected the United Nations declaration and several neighboring nations attacked Israel in 1948. Israel amazingly defeated her enemies and the Arab world calls this the great catastrophe. Well, as a result, Israel increased her territory, taking control of two thirds of the land. Jordan took control of the West Bank and Egypt took control of the area of Gaza. Well, in 1967, the famous six day war broke out and that included the countries of Jordan, Syria, and Egypt, and several other countries. And in an unbelievable victory, Israel amazingly defeated all her enemies in just six days, and they took control of the West Bank, the Golan Heights, Gaza, and the Sinai Peninsula. It's after the Six-Day War that Israel increased her territory significantly. Several wars followed, and with each conflict, the Jews continued to expand their territory. Now, interesting to note, there never was an independent country of Palestine in all this time. The area was renamed Palestine by the Roman Emperor Hadrian in 132 AD. This was a territory under various empires that ruled from the Romans to the British. The modern boundary of Palestine today was made by the British Christians, whose understanding of the geography came from their study of the Bible. So that's a brief study of the history of the land. Who has rightful claim to the land? Well, both Jews and Palestinians have theological and historical claim to the land. Let's first look at the Jewish claim to the land. The Jews have a theological claim to the land. According to the Old Testament, the Jews were promised the land in Genesis 12. It was promised to Abraham and his descendants. Under the Abrahamic covenant, God promised the land to them forever. And as a Christian who believes the Bible is indeed the inspired word of God, I believe this promise remains for the Jewish people. The Jews also have a historical claim to the land of Israel. The Jews were in the land since it was conquered under Joshua in the 14th century BC. So the Jews were there 2,000 years before the Arabs arrived. Israel was an independent state from 1000 to about 596 BC. And although they were conquered by many empires, they were recognized as a people group and a territory under the ruling empires. The Balfour Declaration in 1917 guaranteed the Jews a homeland in Palestine. And after World War II, the United Nations declared Israel once again an independent nation and a home for the Jewish people. The city of Jerusalem has historically been a sacred city to the Jews and served as their capital since the time of David until the Roman Empire. Now, let's look at the Palestinian claim. The Muslims also have or make a theological claim. They also appeal to Abraham. The Arabs claim to be the descendants of Abraham's oldest son, Ishmael. And they believe the land promise goes to the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs, and not the Jews who are the sons of Isaac. Now, there's no biblical or historical case for this claim. The Muslims claim the Bible is an error, but it's very difficult to prove this. There's really no evidence that the Bible is an error here. Now, the Muslims also have another theological claim. They claim that the land Allah gives to Muslims is bestowed by God to them forever. So the Muslims conquered the area in 636 AD and have resided there ever since. The land that Allah gives, they believe, therefore is theirs forever. Jerusalem is also the third most holy site where it is believed Muhammad took the midnight journey to heaven and back on the back of a donkey. He took that midnight journey from Mecca to Jerusalem and back. Now, that's really hard to prove. In fact, many Muslim scholars teach that that was a vision or a dream. It was not an actual historical event. And there's really no historical evidence that this really took place. But that's the claim that's made by Muslims. Now, Muslims not only have a theological claim, they have a historical claim as well. The area of Palestine was conquered by the second caliph of Islam, Umar, in 638 AD. And Arab groups have lived in that area ever since. In fact, the British McMahon-Hussein agreement during World War I assured the Arabs that the Levant territories would be an Arab state. And the Levant territories include Cyprus, Egypt, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Palestine, Syria, and Turkey. Now, when Israel was declared an independent nation and a homeland for the Jews, thousands of Jews moved into Palestine. And in 1948, thousands of Palestinians were displaced from their homes and forced to live in ghetto conditions. They were not allowed to migrate into the neighboring Arab countries. Now once again it's interesting to note though many talk about a historic Palestine there is up to present times no country of Palestine. There never was a independent country of Palestine. Palestine has not achieved full recognition as a sovereign independent state by all the nations and the international community and international organizations. The PLO continues to fight for recognition as a sovereign state. But they have not been recognized as an independent country by the world. So both make theological claims to the land and both have historic claims to the land. Any solution to this issue would be then very difficult. But at this time, I believe a two-state solution is indeed the right solution. This was the plan created by the United Nations, but it has not succeeded so far. Why has a two-state solution between the Jews and Palestinians not been successful? Well, one of the reasons that many of the Middle Eastern nations refuse to acknowledge the existence of Israel and the right of Israel to exist. This is reflected in something called the Khartoum Resolution, which was created after the Six-Day War. In 1967, eight Arab heads of state attended a summit in Khartoum where they formulated the policies most Arab states in conflict with Israel hold to. And it states the three no's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. Radical groups like Hamas are bent on the destruction of Israel and have a stronghold in the Palestinian government. Hamas is dedicated to the establishment of an Islamic Palestinian state that encompasses all of Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. Hamas believes in the establishment of an Islamic theocracy over all the territory of the land of Israel, as you hear in many chants and protests from the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the Jordan River in the east. And the symbols of the Hamas logo illustrate the group's unwavering attitude towards complete control of the land. If you look at the logo, at the top is an outline of the territory of Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank all in one color, green. That's Hamas's symbolic color. That represents their goal to see the entire area of Palestine under Islamic control. In the center is the Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, surrounded by the banners bearing the phrases, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Underneath those words are Palestine and the Islamic resistance movement, or Hamas. The swords are a common Islamic motif representing the power of Islam and the desire to spread the religion by force, if necessary. If you look at the Hamas covenant created in 1988, it repeatedly states they will not compromise on a two-state solution with Israel. For example, Article 7 reads this, nevertheless the Islamic resistance movement aspires to bring the promise of Allah to pass, no matter how long it takes. As the Prophet Muhammad May the prayer of Allah and his blessing of peace be upon him. Said the time, judgment day, will not come until Muslims fight the Jews and kill them, and until the Jews hide behind the rocks and trees. And then the rocks and trees will say, O Muslim, O servant of Allah, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him, except for the salt bush tree. So it is the tree of the Jews. This is in the hadith recorded in Al-Bukhari, one of the most reliable uh, hadiths that are out there. Article 13 states Uh, Peaceful Solutions, Diplomatic Initiatives, and International Conferences. They state regarding these diplomatic initiatives, the so-called peaceful solutions, and international conferences to find a solution to the Palestinian problem contradict the Islamic-resistant movement's ideological position. Giving up any part whatsoever of the land, Palestine, is like ignoring a part of the Muslim faith. There's no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain endeavors. The Palestinian people know better than to consent to having their future rights and fate toyed with. It goes on to state, Article 13: There's no solution to the Palestinian problem except jihad. Regarding the international initiatives, suggestions, and conferences, they are an empty waste of time and complete nonsense. Article 15 states: The day that enemies usurp part of Muslim land, jihad becomes the individual duty of every Muslim. In face of the Jews' usurpation of Palestine, it is compulsory that the banner of jihad be raised. To do this requires the diffusion of Islamic consciousness among the masses, both on the regional Arab and Islamic levels. It is necessary to instill the spirit of jihad in the heart of the nation so that they would confront the enemies and join the ranks of the fighters. So this is the Hamas covenant of 1988 portions that I read there. You can read the whole thing Uh, on the internet, it's readily available. And in 2006, Hamas was elected by the citizens of Gaza to the majority in the government, and they have controlled Gaza since 2006. So it's difficult to negotiate with a group bent on the destruction of Israel. They will not accept a two-state solution. Well, what about Israel? Israel has a population of roughly 9 million people, 1.5 million are Palestinians. There are Palestinians living in the land of Israel. They have thriving businesses there. Many serve in government offices there in the land of Israel. How many Israelis live in Palestinian territories? None. So it seems to me the Israelis seem more open to a two-state solution. The Palestinians, especially groups like Hamas, are very resistant to that. And groups like Hamas completely reject that option. Their only option is to see Israel gone from the land. That's the reason a two-state solution has not succeeded. Well, can we attain peace in Palestine? Well, with the recent attacks made on Israel by Hamas, Israel really has no choice but to defeat Hamas. Groups like Hamas must be defeated militarily, but also the ideology must be defeated as well or will end up in the same situation. Even if Israel was to completely destroy Hamas in Gaza and allow the people of Gaza to recreate a new government, since many of the children and young people are steeped in the ideology of Hamas, maybe just a short period of time till we end up in the same situation. The ideology must also be defeated. It's the Gaza people who elected Hamas to government leadership in 2005, but hopefully they have seen the fruits of this ideology and they will say no more. Perhaps, we can only pray that they will all be more open to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can transform lives. And by applying God's principles there, that will bring peace. Remember, most Palestinians are not Hamas. And most people in the Middle East are peace-loving people. So we must pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in Gaza, in Palestine, and throughout the Middle East that as people realize the fruits of this kind of ideology, they will look to Christ and his people for a better way.
0: Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism, to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.